everybody, and that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about saying long, so long to self today and how we can break free from uh, the desires that we have about ourselves that hold us captive. And uh, we're going to begin this series today on the seven deadly sins. And uh, just want you to know right up front that as we begin this, that it's a little bit different than we, where we might normally go and what, what we more normally do. And yet, uh, I just really felt God leading us to uh, tackle this set of issues as we talk about the seven deadly sins. What we're going to do is we're going to talk about desires, desires that hijack us with one purpose in mind. Hijack us not to get a ransom, hijack us not to manipulate some kind of outcome. This hijacking has one purpose. And that is to kill and destroy with absolutely no regard for human life. See, on the weekend that we get to commemorate the hijacking of four commercial airliners, we've been focused on most of the weekend, probably most of the week. And as we looked at those, that those four commercial airliners and those terrorists, they had one sole purpose in mind. And that was the death and destruction of American citizens. As we begin this series on the seven deadly sins, we're going to talk about another kind of hijacking, a kind of hijacking that can destroy each and every one of us and has that same purpose in mind. So if you would, go ahead and grab your message notes. Just grab them right away, and we're going to just jump right in, and uh, you're going to want to get your pen out, and I think there's going to be a lot of things that you'll want to write down as we go through this. And secondly, I've got a lot to say, so just buckle up, okay? Just buckle up, and we're going to go through this. Now, right at the top of your notes... Um, Jesus is talking in John 10, 10. He gives this word to us. He says, the thief, talking about Satan, his purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. So say, Jesus says there is an enemy. His name is Satan, and he has this purpose. And he says, my purpose, on the other hand, is to give you a rich and a satisfying life. So what Jesus says is he says, I came that I might restore your humanness that I might help you to become the people that God made you to be. At the same time, though, he says, we have an enemy whose sole desire is to separate us from God, separate us from each other, and even separate us from ourselves and to create destruction. And that enemy is the devil. That enemy is Satan. Now, we want to gloss over sometimes this enemy, and uh, our culture does a great job of making fun of Satan and the devil and uh, we want to do a little bit of that today, but there's a lot of truth in what we're going to show you right now. And this is an interview with the devil. Let's watch this. And welcome back to Hot Seat, everyone. Next up, an interview with the devil. He joins us now via satellite from Las Vegas, Nevada. Hey, devil. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's just me, the big D-man. How are things? Well, thanks for joining us today. Tell me, do you live in Las Vegas, or are you just visiting? Oh, well, you know me, just, just here on business. But it really is getting a little hot out there, even for me. <laughs> <laughs> good one, good one. Because uh, right. of hell. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, okay, here's the first question. You're known by many names. The Destroyer, the Thief, the Serpent, Satan. Which of these do you prefer? Oh, just the Devil or... Devil, because <laughs> it's kind of hipping now, you know, like you'd call someone a sly devil or you eat a devil dog. You root for the blue devils. It's a part of culture, a little less scary for people. Right, less, less scary. So you don't want to scare people, 
Well, according to the Bible, your intent is to tempt and trick people. <laughs> whoa, 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 now slow down, Mr. Interview Man. I mean, look at me. I'm just a funny guy in a red suit, rocking some horns, a plastic pitchfork, scary. No, I mean, all right, who's got two evil thumbs and probably doesn't even exist? This guy. Yes, I see how you're dressed, but doesn't 2 Corinthians say that you masquerade as an angel of light? Angels! Now there's something to talk about. Angels are cute. Fat little babies with wings. They're always peeing in fountains. They're like precious moments, but alive and naked and without little sayings under them. But aren't angels actually warrior messengers that also look similar to humans? Warrior messenger? <laughs> Who's ever heard of a precious moments called warrior messenger? No, no. Angels are chubby, happy babies that, that really, really want to be prayed to. Yeah, do that. I mean, each human has their own chubby baby angel that helps them get good seats in restaurants and protects them from all the evil demons. Ah, so you confirm that there are demons. Uh, what I'm saying is, have you ever gotten a big zit right in the middle of your forehead before you went out on a big date? Can't pop it, can't hide it. Boom! Demon. Uh, ever gotten a paper cut licking a letter, you know? Uh, bam! Also a demon. Car trouble, late flights, untimely gas, demon, demon, demon. So demons are everywhere, thus proving the existence of angels and God. Or they don't exist. I mean, it's kind of silly when you think about it. You'd have to be a fool to believe that stuff. Am I right? Can I get a what, what? <laughs> angels, ridiculous. All right. Is it true that your primary job is to tempt people to sin? Whoa, tempt, sin. Hey, look, the 80s just called and they want their judgmental churchy words back. Look, all I want is for people to be happy. And what makes people happy? Doing what they want to do whenever they want to do it. So if you're accusing me of helping people enjoy life, guilty. Go ahead, lock me up in your prison of lameness. This world would be a lot less fun without me around. Well, what about all the disease, the pain, and the separation that ultimately comes from the lifestyle you describe? <laughs> well, I don't really see how that's relevant. Next question. Okay, what about the end times? How do you feel about it? I mean, what do you mean, how do I feel about it? How do you feel that you lose? Okay, okay, I cannot believe you just went there. Then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Okay, okay, yeah, there yeah, to yeah. Be blah, tormented blah, 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 day blah, 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 forever and ever. You're not worried? Oh, I would be worried if that Bible you're reading wasn't a big pile of self-contradicting myths. If God wasn't an uncaring deity who made the whole world and left it to run on its own, then I might be a little upset. You seem like you are upset. I'm not upset! Then why are you yelling? I'm not upset! Okay, okay, none of this just happened. You, you, didn't, you didn't see what you thought you saw. Uh, this, this interview is done. Uh, well, yes, it, it would appear that the devil has disapparated back into the nether regions and the interview is over. Well, coming up next on Hot Seat, we meet a cat who's been to hell and back. <laughs>
to separate us from God and that we won't have a relationship with him, and that is a win for the devil. Look at what James talks about, about this whole idea that we're going to be looking at in this series. Brett read these verses just a minute ago to us. Temptation comes for our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. You see the progress here. Temptations come from our own desires. Our own desires are what lead us astray, not the temptation. Our own desires from within, as we give into them, lead us astray. They give birth then to actions as we do them, and those actions lead to death. So just to be really clear this morning, we are not victims. We are not victims, unlike the people who were in the Twin Towers on September 11th on that Tuesday morning, who were victims to the terrorists that attacked them. You and I are not victims in the sin and the giving into sin and our desires being hijacked like we're talking about. We are actually corroborators. We're actually in cahoots with. We're actually part of the problem, and we're going to talk about how we can be free from that as we go through this series together. Instead of us saying things like, the devil made me do it, as a way of abdicating responsibility, let's just begin by affirming again what we just read the Bible says to be true about this process in James chapter 1. I'm going to ask if we can. Let's read it out loud together. Okay, ready, go. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. You see why this is so important that we talk about that in this series? We all have a propensity. We all do to be drawn away by the desires that we have within us, and when we give into those desires and fill them in inappropriate ways, ways that God didn't intend, then they're going to bring us down. Okay, just to kind of help me out today, how many of you have heard before of the seven deadly sins? You know, raise your hand for me. Well, that's probably most of us. Most of us have heard about them. How many of you could list them? Maybe old Catholics can, because I know they were used against you to kind of keep you in line, different things. Some of us over there, you know, looking at me like that. Uh, but here we go. Here's the list. Pride, greed, envy, anger, lust, gluttony, and sloth. Okay, that's a good one, but it's really laziness. Okay, we're going to talk about that as we go through this. And what I found intriguing is that this isn't just something that, you know, church talks about. It's something our culture is interested in as well. I found a series that had been done on the History Channel. Uh, with movies have been done talking about the seven deadly sins. Books have been written about each of the sins and how, you know, you know, people use them to, you know, hurt other people in some way. MSN article I read recently listed the seven deadly sins, and it listed a celebrity that had committed that seven deadly sin on the other side. So it's a cultural thing as well. But you got to know, these sins were not, it's not a list in the Bible per se. Uh, these sins were actually written down by a monk in about 375 AD, and he had been watching uh, temptations that people had been given into and how it impacted them. And he went away. He's what was known in, as we look back in history as a desert father. He went away into the desert. He reflected, and he reflected on what he was seeing in people. And he wrote these sins down, made a list. And he called them the eight temptations. And then in 590 AD, uh, Gregory, Pope Gregory uh, the Great is what he was called. He took these eight, list of eight, and he brought it down to seven. He thought seven was the biblical number of perfection, and so he looked to get this down to perfection, and actually could take easily take two of them, which were vainglory and pride, and combine them into what we have as pride today. And so we now have this list of seven sins um, that basically theologians, theologians have you know, said that this is a you know, pretty accurate list of things that can take us astray. So in this list, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a sin a week. 
What's the sin of the week, right? We're going to look at a sin a week, and we're going to go through this. And we're going to see uh, and learn about how we're taken captive and how we allow ourselves to be hijacked. And we're also going to learn how God wants to set us free. We're going to do that kind of as we balance that in this series. So I just want to say it this way. It's time for you to be free. It's time for you to be free. We just turn to your neighbor right now and say, we're breaking free. We're breaking free. Okay, we're going to break free in this series. And we're begin today with the root of all sin and its pride. The root of all sin is pride. Pride is the root of all sin. C.S. Lewis writes this. He says, pride is the one vice. Talking about those vices, this set, list of set, is the one vice of which no one in the world is free. So he's saying everyone has it. Which everyone in the world loathes when we see it in someone else. There is no fault which makes someone more unpopular and more fault which, which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. And the more we have it in ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. Ouch, right, I agree. <laughs> I'm right there with you. See, pride is what led Satan to rebel, you know, in the beginning, ultimately against God, and eventually got him kicked out with a third of the angels kicked out of heaven. That was pride that got him kicked out. His rebellion is actually reverenced in the book of Isaiah. It says this, talking about the devil here, Satan. He says, how you are fallen from heaven, O shining star. He was like the chief of angels, Lucifer, son of the morning. You have been thrown down to the earth. For you said to yourself, I will ascend. So he's talking, I will. He said, all this about I will. It's all about pride. I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the heaven and be like the most high. Instead, this is what happened. You will be brought down to the place of death, down to its lowest depths. He didn't want to just exist worshiping God. He didn't just want to exist serving God. He wanted to be God. He wanted to be worshiped and served himself. He wanted to be like God. He wanted to be greater than God. Ultimately, that was his downfall. And that's why he was ultimately kicked out of heaven. C.S. Lewis again says this, it was through pride that the devil, this is key, became the devil. It was through pride that he became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It's the complete anti-God state of mind. That's pride, the anti-God state of mind. So if you look at the vices and you think about pride as we look at those, pride says, I'm not proud, I'm just confident. Pride says, I'm not greedy, I just like things. Pride says, I'm not envious, I just want what's coming to me. Pride says, I'm not angry, I'm just emotional. Pride says, I'm not lustful, I'm just a red-blooded American. Pride says, I'm not gluttonous. I just really enjoy good food. Pride says, I'm not lazy. I'm just laid back. And we come at this. Pride causes us to be self-preoccupied, self-centered, self-reliant, self-sufficient, self-indulgent, self-absorbed, self-interested, and self-serving. I'm reading a great book about the epidemic of narcissism in our culture right now. And uh, it talks a lot about this issue of pride and how we've gotten to where we are as a culture and this whole idea. By now you realize that, you know, when I talk about pride today, I'm not talking about the good kind of pride. There is a good pride that we can have in life. There's a good pride where I can feel good about my accomplishments, where I can feel good about the things that I've done. There's a good kind of pride that I, I can feel, I can have self-respect and I can have dignity. Uh, good pride is satisfied when I, you know, do a job well. Uh, I feel good pride when I think of my family or you know, my church or my business, or I have good pride when others succeed. 
good pride is a national pride or a patriotic pride. Now, I think we all feel some pride today as we reflect on what happened after the events of 9-1-1 or even during the actual attack when the airline struck the Twin Towers. I think we feel a lot of pride as we hear stories about heroic Americans and how they handled the tragedy of 9-11. I, I got this summer, I got to go to Ground Zero for the first time since 9-11 and uh, was so moved. We got to go to a tour, and uh, as we went to this tour of Ground Zero, we were just blessed by God to have a man named Vic. It's going to get emotional because he was quick. Vic, I just want to say his name, Gamero. And he was on duty as the chief of security systems in the twin, in both in, in the Tower 1 and Tower 2. He was chief of security. He was on duty uh, the day of the attacks. And so we just got the privilege of being with this man as he walked us through and walked us around and told us minute by minute, second by second of, the, of everything that unfolded on that day. Well, he began by, at the tour began at this spot here with this monument in the back. And, and I got another slide here to show you what the monument actually is. And the monument, monument's dedicated to those who fell and to those who carry on. So it's dedicated to the firefighters, to the men and the women, and to the emergency personnel who died on that day, and then those who carry on today. And as he talked, you know, I just saw this pride in him, and he's just got all emotional as he talked about the firefighters and what they gave and how much they sacrificed and how many people were alive because of their heroism. And so there is a good pride that we can have when people do things that are so heroic like that. I believe that we're proud and we need to be proud of the men and women who serve in our armed forces, where it's a good pride that we can be proud for them. That's a good pride. But today we're talking about a different kind of pride. We're talking about a deadly pride. And so I just want to look at the dark side of this deadly pride, and then we're going to talk about how to break free. So why is pride so harmful? First, pr that deadly pride prevents growth. It prevents growth. Now, you're not going to grow, and you're not going to move forward in life unless you deal with this issue of pride. You've got to decide in life, do I want to look smart or do I want to be smart? You've got to make that decision in life about how you approach it. Pride makes a person unteachable. Now, in these dark sides, I'm just going to list lists for you of how pride affects us in these areas. But here's how pride does. Pride keeps me from growing. And I can still remember uh, when Muhammad Ali, I'm still young enough. <laughs> I can still remember, you know, when he was in his prime, when he was Superman, when he was doing his thing. Uh, and I just love the story about Muhammad Ali, where one time he got on an airplane, and the flight attendant said, you know, came by and said, Mr. Ali, you need to buckle your seatbelt. And, you know, and he, with his braggadocious way, looked up at that flight attendant and said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. Yeah. Yeah. And she looked out at him, and she said, Superman don't need no airplane. Woo! <laughs> 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 got him, right? Zing! <laughs> Oh, see, when I have pride, I believe that I've arrived and that I'm not teachable any longer, and it keeps me from growing. Second thing is this, and this is where I'm really going to spend a lot of time, pride poisons relationships. Pride poisons relationships. Pride just wrecks relationships. Someone said it this way, pride makes everybody sick except the one who has it. See, the Bible says this in Proverbs 13.10. You might write that reference down. Proverbs 13.10, pride leads to conflict. And the reason it's true is that a prideful person 
sees everything through the lens of how is this going to affect me? That's the lens through which they view life. Prideful people are, are unable to say, I'm sorry. Prideful people hold on to grudges. Prideful people refuse to let go of hurts. Prideful people keep score. Prideful people look for opportunities to boast about themselves or their abilities or their accomplishments. You guys aren't going to like me for saying this, but a lot of what goes on in Facebook is pride. I'll just say it there. I do Facebook. Okay, I'm there. But a lot of what goes on is pride. When you just talk about how awesome your little kitty is and what he said today, and you want everyone to know, or the event you got to do, or this, and it's all, look at, the, you're saying, world, look at me. I have value because of this. Okay, so you just want to look at your motives. I'm not saying, don't do it, okay. I know all you grandmas in the crowd or granddads are saying, no, Ron, you can't. I got to get my grandkids on. You can do that, okay? And we can do that. Okay, there we go. Just get that zip. I'll stop, okay? <laughs> I'll tell you. Must be pride causing me to do that. <laughs> um, prideful people talk about themselves all the time. Prideful people are controlling and manipulative. Prideful people have a hard time seeing things from a point of view different than their own. Prideful people inside believe that they're always right. Their motto is, everyone thinks like me, or they will when they grow up or get wiser. <laughs> That's their motto. Prideful people are unable to see how they are responsible in a situation. Prideful people assume everything exists for them. Prideful people are unable to listen to others. They're always defending themselves or positioning themselves in some way. Prideful people are rude. Because they believe they're better than everybody else, they treat themselves as if they are better than everybody else. They become condescending. See, when I think I'm better than you, I look down on you, and then I become your judge. So prideful people are also judgmental. But I think the number one thing, this is personal, that, causes us, uh, that pride does is it causes us to refuse or admit our mistakes. And pride causes us to blame others. To always be looking for how something's not my responsibility and it's someone else's fault. So it damages relationships. Third, pride produces stress and anxiety. Pride produces stress and anxiety. Uh, the greatest source of stress and anxiety in your life is, I'll just say it this way, your constant preoccupation. Your constant preoccupation. Because see, prideful people basically are insecure people looking for external attaboys, external validation in order to be okay. Prideful people are basically insecure people who know inside that I'm not nearly as smart or nearly as cool or nearly as handsome or nearly as beautiful as I hope people think I am or I'm projecting to be. Inside, I know I'm not that person, and so I live with stress and anxiety because I have to always work to keep my image up. Prideful people need others to make them feel okay. That's why you can be with somebody and you can walk away feeling like you've been drained because someone else has used you and they've used you in order to be okay with who they are. They need others to make them feel okay. They need uh, the, the approval of others on how they look, how they act, how they appear, how they sound, how they dress, how they walk. They're always looking for approval from other people or measurement because they're insecure people. 
And so if I'm, you know, if I'm living that way and I'm insecure, then I'm always going to feel stress and anxiety, right? I'm never going to feel at peace because I'm always having to have external input in order to be okay. The more you focus on yourself, the more stressed and anxious you become. Now, there's another part of that that I don't have time to get into today, but really, uh, when you think about stress and anxiety and pride, pride is really saying, I'm God, and anytime you try to be God, you're going to be stressed. Okay? <laughs> and Because you know you can't do what needs to be done, and you know you need God, but yet you keep trying to build yourself up and think you can't. And so it creates a lot of stress and anxiety. Now, look at what Proverbs says. It says, pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Now, just be honest with you. Uh, when I looked at this list of seven deadly sins, and I, I knew that I, when, I made, when, when I looked at the list and I knew pride would be first, I'm like, you know, and I read that pride was the source of all sin. I, I agreed with all that. And then, you know, I'm thinking about the list. I'm thinking about the seven things. I said, well, which ones do I think I struggle with? And I did an honest assessment. And, and as I ranked them, which ones I think I struggle with most, guess which one I ranked as last? Pride. Was I in for a lesson, okay? <laughs> and I got to tell you, I wrote to you on my email blast this week how God just gently uh, showed me and through all my work. And, and here's what happened with me. And, and I think this may happen in you as well, because I know I can't say enough today. I can't convince you uh, the, of any truth today. It's going to have to be God's Holy Spirit that convinces you. And you have to hear from Him. Well, what happened with me is that, and this may be true with you too, is the summer was full of a lot of opportunities to grow. Okay, well, I was with my family a lot, you know. In fact, at the end of the summer, I thought, I am glad I have a job, you know, <laughs> that I get to have that, and I'm not constantly being stretched, you know, and have to grow in that way. Well, uh, several different things happened during the summer, which I'm not going to share with you today because they're still too personal. I'm still working through them. But when I got to this message on pride then, God said, whoa, look back here. These happen because of your pride. And now you get to work on that. And so I've got a whole new awareness of how God wants to work in me. And so I'm going to share some, some ideas with us about how we can all break free from sin. But before we do it, before I give you this, this escape plan or how to break free, I just want everyone to remember this. When Jesus said, I've come to give you life in all its abundance, here's what everyone needs to know. Every week we're going to talk about the sin. You can walk out of here feeling defeated. But remember I said God wants us all to be free. I just want you to know that he has a solution. He has an answer for your sin problem. There is hope for us. He made provision for us through Jesus Christ so that we can be redeemed and so we can be restored. So there's hope for all of us as we go through this series. Dallas Willard talks in his book, The Renovation of the Heart. He talks about how God wants to change our heart as we go through this process. Now, look at what James says. He says this in James 4, talking about this kind of strategy for breaking free. He says, God opposes the proud. First of all, I don't want to be in opposition to God, do you? You read that, God opposes, that means he's directly against the proud, but he favors the humble. So humble yourselves before God, just a key phrase there. When it says humble yourselves, it doesn't mean ask God to humble you. Okay? So some of you are wasting your time asking God to humble you. Instead, what God says, humble yourself. Just humble yourself. That's what he calls us to do. Before God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hand, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God 
and the world. So three ideas. First is, if I'm going to you know, do this battle with pride, I need to first evaluate my strengths and weaknesses honestly. I need to evaluate my strengths and my weaknesses honestly. How I'm wired, how I'm made, the things I can do. Romans 12.3 talks about this. It says, don't think you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Now, contrary to popular cultural myth, you cannot do anything you want. You cannot. I could never be on American Idol. I could never be on Dances with the Stars. I could never play NFL football. I could never play NBA basketball. Researchers surveyed 800,000 high school kids and asked the students to rate their social skills. Guess how many rated themselves uh, below average, would be below average on social skills? How many out of 800,000, how many rated themselves below average in their social skills? Zero. <laughs> Zero. In fact, 25 of the students rated themselves in the top 1% in the nation in social skills. Psychologists call this the self-serving bias. The Bible calls it pride. It calls it pride. Now, this whole idea, this whole thing happened in the 80s is when we, the, the whole self-esteem movement got its, you know, ramped up and got its engines going and self-confidence and so much so that kids would go to kindergarten and they'd look around at each other in kindergarten and they'd sing songs like, I am special, I am special, I am special, I am special. You know, just singing like this. And it goes through the rest of their school years to where they grow up believing they're special and that they are actually better than everybody else. And they kind of look at themselves that way. So they then as they judge themselves, they're always going to judge themselves better than they really are. So since pride is based on my false image of myself, the way to break pride is to have a what? An accurate image of myself and who I am. We need others to help us see where we're strong, and we need others to help us see where we're weak. That's why the, it's a beautiful to be in community, and it's beautiful that we start our community groups, and you have people around you to help you to know your strengths and your weaknesses, and you can be vulnerable enough to ask people about those strengths and weaknesses. Humble people see themselves accurately, and they see themselves as a whole bundle of strengths and weaknesses. That same pope who combined the seventh sin says this about pride. Pride makes me think I am the cause of my own achievements and that I deserve my abilities and leads me to despise other people who don't measure up. Now, here's the key about this whole thing about knowing who I am. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking about yourself less and learning to view yourself accurately. Second idea, if I'm going to break this trap of pride, is I need to look, serve others unselfishly. I need to serve others unselfishly. When you give away yourself to serve another person, you're putting yourself aside. You're saying so long self at that moment. Paul writes in Philippians, he says, don't be selfish, don't try to impress others, be humble, thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. I read another survey as I was, you know, doing all my preparation, and about, it's talking about the epidemic of depression in young adults in America. 
and talked not just about the epidemic, but talked about a solution to that epidemic. And the article said that the antidote to depression is what they call the helper's high. The helper's high. And this is the endorphin rush you get when you go outside of yourself and you help somebody else. Is the, the helper's high. What serving does is it gets us outside of ourselves and it cuts us off from this habit of introspection. We've got to break that habit of constantly thinking about how I'm viewed and how, what I need and what's going on and looking at the world through the, me as the center. Look at what James says about this. He says, if you're wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. This summer, uh, my family, uh, Kimberly, my wife and I, uh, we have been just uh, immersing ourselves in an autobiography about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Now, he wrote several books, and we're reading this biography right now, but he, uh, one of the books he wrote is called Life Together. And this is what he said in this book. He says, in the Christian community, one service we should perform for each of us is that of active helplessness, helpfulness. This means simple assistance in trifling matters. Nobody is too good for the humblest service. One who worries too much about the loss of time that such small outward acts of helpfulness entail is usually, I love this, I love this, is usually taking the importance of his career too seriously. In other words, he's taking himself too seriously. God will be constantly crossing our paths and canceling our plans by sending people with claims and requests, and we must, uh, we must allow ourselves to be interrupted by God to serve other people. So I want to take this to a higher level, though. Serving others, you know, sometimes I can serve others, and it can still be about me, right? Because I'm going to do it for what I'm going to gain, and the notoriety I might get, and the recognition I might get. So uh, the way that I can serve others without it being about me and... Um, Oh, this is a hard one, guys. Serve others secretly. Serve others secretly. That means, you know, when you wash the dishes and after dinner and no one's even commenting on it and look around the kitchen, it's just immaculate that you just walk away. And you don't say, hey, family, look at what I did tonight. You know, look at this. I need some recognition over here for what I just did. Anytime you do that, that's what it is. It's pride. But when you serve and you just go, it's a discipline. Boy, it is for me. And you don't draw attention to what you did, then you're defeating pride as it grabs, grabs, uh, grasps at you. Okay, last one is trust God completely. Trust God completely. So if I'm going to you know, break this grip of pride, I have to trust God completely. Now, why is God so hard on pride? He says, you know, if, if, actually, if you read in the Bible, it says he hates pride. He kicks Satan out of heaven because of pride. He, it says he opposes proud people and he comes against them. Why is God so against pride? Well, here's the thought. Because we make great creatures, but we make terrible gods. <laughs> Writer Anne Lamott says it this way. The biggest difference between you and God is God doesn't think he is you. Yeah? Whew, zinger. First Peter says this, humble yourselves. There's once again, it's not saying pray for humility. It's saying humble yourselves 
under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about, I need to bow low before him and basically say to God, God, you're God and I'm not. You're God and I'm not. And to the best of my ability and with your power working through me and your strength, together, I'm going to break free of the grips of pride in my life. I'm going to admit to you when I see it, and this is what's happening for me right now, is that once you become aware, um, this is why I wrote to you this week, how this series is going to be so hard in ways. Once you become aware, you see yourself everywhere, and you see the sin uh, that you commit on a regular basis. I'm not asking for self-introspection that becomes unhealthy. What I'm saying is God's going to show us what we need to submit and surrender to him. And I'm asking you to do it with me, that we would, as a church family, that we would say, God, we're going to submit ourselves to this process. We're going to bow low before you, and we're going to ask you to do what we can't do and to set us free from the trap of deadly sin. Look at that last verse on your notes. It says, True humility and fear of the Lord lead to riches and honor and a long life. Let's pray together. Wow, Father, I come before you and I just ask right now for everyone in the room that I I know that we're at different levels and even our receptivity today uh, and different levels in our, you know, spiritual journey and all over the spiritual roadmap today. But I pray that each one of us has heard from you. And I ask that each one of us would submit ourselves to what you're asking right now. To surrender ourselves to following you and the process you have that we can be set free from our sin of pride. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to take your connection card. And if you would, uh, on the back is a chance for you to respond to what we talked about today. And maybe you have some prayer requests you want to write down. If you're wondering kind of a response, you just might write, bow low. Bow low. Uh, this week, I, every time I feel I want to rise up, instead I'm going to bow low. Instead of rising up, I'm going to bow low. And, you know, that's usually internal, and you're going to back off, and you're going to bow low and allow God to work through you in the circumstances and situation. So we're going to receive our offerings. If you're a guest, please don't feel obligated to give financially. Just receive this service as a gift to you. And we're going to listen to a little bit of music. At the end of that time, we want to have a, a moment today to pray and uh, memorialize the 911 event that we're all really focused on this weekend. So I just ask everyone if they would to remain seated till then. I know there's been a lot of talk about um, September 11th and for the last couple of weeks, really, you know, all the news media and TV shows have been ramping up to this. And uh, yet it's an opportunity for us today to have a moment to pray, uh, to pray for the victims and to pray for our country. And so we want to take full advantage of that. As we think about 911, a lot of it's been focusing on what were you doing when it happened? You know, 10 years, what were you doing? And uh, for me personally, I was on a working away out of the office time at Lake Tahoe, and I didn't have, you know, wasn't doing any TV because I wanted to be alone with God. And, and Kim called me and said, "You got to turn the TV on right now." And I turned it on, and, and like you, I saw uh, the beginning of the devastation that was happening there, and was just glued to that. This is on a Tuesday, 
Uh, and I got on the phone then later that day and called into the church and said, hey, we've got to scrap everything we planned for the weekend. We've got to, this is what our focus has to be. So that's my memory of 911. I know you have your own. And uh, we're going to watch a video here that's going to talk about memories and then how, what happened there. And then after that, we're going to lead us in a prayer. Ten years ago was a different time. The economy was booming, 401ks were solid, and a vast eight out of ten Americans wouldn't be able to define the word jihad. On that day, ten years ago, something happened that changed everything. Ten years ago was a Tuesday. For most of us, our only connection to the events of that day was what we saw on television. However, we are all connected and that we all have a place. For some of us, it's a spot on the highway. For others, it's in an office. Or at coffee with a friend. It's the place we will never forget. The place where we watched it happen 10 years ago. So here we are, 10 years later, still hurt, still angry, still trying to understand why. 1 Corinthians 13 explains that we don't see things clearly right now. In essence, we just won't be able to understand in this lifetime things like what happened 10 years ago. However, it goes on to say that one day we will see all things clearly. But until that day comes, we have three things to embrace to help us in our reconciliation. Faith in God, unswerving hope, and love. And the greatest of the three is love. Through the shock and the horror, something else happened ten years ago. Although the evil intentions appeared to be a success, our country embraced the complete opposite of what was intended. Instead of division, there was unity. Instead of confusion, there was clarity. And instead of falling apart, We banded together. But then again, that's the way one nation under God will always respond. Bow your heads with me and let's have a moment to pray. God, we just declare that we are yours and that you are our God. And when we talk about faith, hope, and love, those come from you. Those are gifts that we have. And Lord, I pray that you would give those who know you, those who claim to be your followers, the faith that comes from you, the hope that comes from you, and especially the love that comes from you. That God, we may influence our culture 
with hope, God, with faith and with love. And Father, as we look at our world today, several writers that I've read have talked about how our foundations are actually weaker than we might have thought. And part of the reason is, is that as Americans, that we aren't taking responsibility. And God, I pray that you would help those who know you to stand up and be responsible. Responsible to your word, responsible to your directions. And as we are going to learn in this series, responsible for dealing with our stuff. That each one of us can together, individually, become who you made us to be. Then collectively, and that this church may have an impact in this community, and then this community may have an impact in this world, simply because we chose today to say we will be responsible. Help us to live for you, and then, God, I want to pray for the families who lost loved ones, some I've read about who still have tremendous physical struggles. As Vic shared with us, firefighters, who are dying today because of the dust that they breathed in and other people and just their, that damages the effects of this. We just want to pray, God, for your comfort, God of all comfort, the one who's promised to be close to the brokenhearted, that each of us would feel you and sense you and lean hard into you for our future. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you all. We'll see you again next Sunday. Reflect on this as you go.